Welcome to the London Lyceum, where we try to encourage listeners, especially our Baptist listeners, to think deeply and clearly. Think about their faith, think about their church, think about their life, and think about God. We're analytic, Baptist, and confessional. Thanks for tuning in, and enjoy the episode. I'd like to welcome you once again to the London Lyceum. I am one of your hosts, Jordan Stefaniak. And I'm your other co-host, Brandon Askew. And today we are planning to discuss a little bit about what Baptist theology actually is. So if you listen listen to our first episode, we kind of gave you a little bit of an idea what we're doing here with the London Lyceum. We're going to be talking about analytic and Baptist and confessional theology. And so we thought it would be a good idea to probably define what exactly each of those are. Now, I do think Baptist theology is probably the one that most people will be comfortable giving a definition to of those three. I'd say analytic would probably be on the bottom. Mm-hmm. Confessional might be second, and then Baptist would be the one people are good with. Though I don't know how good of a definition they might give. Yeah, so I think it would be helpful for us to you know try to get a little bit more specific and put it within um, not only a theological context but also a historical context. So, um, and this is going to be you know re- a repetition for some people, but um, you know we just kind of want to start at the at the ground floor and, and say this is who we are uh, as Baptists. So. Number one, Baptist are um, Orthodox and and Catholic. Catholic with a little C, meaning we are um, part of the Universal Church. We we would confess um, with the larger body of Christ the early um, church creeds. Um, you know, most Baptists are going to affirm the um, Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed, and the Athanasian Creed. So there, we are. Um, you know, pretty much saying we are a part of um, the larger body um, of the of the universal church. So we're not um, some you know uh, sect that has sprung up out of nowhere. Um, we do actually um, want to tie ourselves to to the history of the church uh, in a very real way. That's good. So we're Orthodox as Baptists. Uh, I know at least probably a lot of Baptists might not realize that. I mean, I think they like the word Orthodox, but the word Catholic they might be afraid of. But just the idea that we actually agree with other denominations on various issues. Yeah, I mean, particularly the the doctrine of God, who God is, and we confess, you know, God um, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, um, and that is going to be, you know, um, the same. Uh, we're all going to we're going to confess the Trinity the same way that, well, maybe not in the same exact way, but we're going to confess the Trinity. Um, just like a Roman Catholic would, um, Eastern Orthodox, um, and other different Protestant groups. Um, one thing that all of those groups going to have in common is the confession of belief in the Trinity. So, so I, as a Baptist, have freedom to say, I really like Thomas Aquinas, and that's totally fine. Right. I mean, well, some people are probably not going to like that because Thomas has a lot of enemies for a variety of reasons. But yeah, I mean, um, we. I think the main thing is that we don't have any reason to be scared of of church history for, for some Baptists um, it's like church history started with Billy Graham or, or, you know, (laughs) something like that, you know, but, but Baptists are very, um, very connected to history. uh, Historically should be anyway. Yeah. But I mean, as, as, as our identity, and we'll get into this a little bit more when we, when we actually, let's just do it now. So we're, we we just said we were, you know, Orthodox and, and Catholic, but we are also reformational. So not only are we tying ourselves to the universal church, but we are, kind of, you know, putting our flag in the ground and saying we are Protestants. Um, So why don't you just, uh, Jordan, maybe give us a little bit of an explanation about what it means to be uh, Protestant or Reformational. 
I, I mean, I would think Protestant or Reform- Reformational is going to primarily plant its flag in the doctrine of justification. Would you agree with that? Yes. So justification by faith alone rather than by some sort of synthesis of faith and works together. So that's going to be something that somebody who agrees with Roman Catholicism, at least someone who actually knows all of what Roman Catholicism teaches, right. you know, in, in the Second Vatican Council, is going to confess that they must work to obtain their salvation along with faith. But reformational, or even if you want to use the word evangelical, which depending on who you talk to might mean nothing or might mean something. But I think it's primarily centering, zeroing in on justification by faith alone, which just means that we are righteous in God's sight based upon our faith in Christ alone. And there is no works attached to that. Nothing I do. And faith faith isn't a work because we believe that uh, even though we have faith, God's the one who provides it. So even in that, that's not a work. Uh, There is no works that are going to get us to have salvation. It's just by faith alone, by the work of Christ alone. And I think another reformational uh, distinctive would be um, our belief that, you know, Scripture is the um, the the lone supreme authority um, for us as as believers. So um, we're going to differ with Rome there again, um, because, you know, of their view on papal infallibility and um, the magisterium and, and things like that. So they have elevated uh, tradition to a level that um, reformational Christians are going to say no to. Um, now, again, as we said earlier, um, you know, Baptists and other uh, reformational Christians are going to have a place for tradition in their theology, um, particularly the early church creeds and councils. Um, so we don't want to say that, you know, we're just dismissing tradition altogether, but we have um, drawn a line of distinction and saying that, you know, scripture is in its own, um, it's in its own, on its own level, um, apart from uh, any other authority. So it is, you know, some theologians have said it's the norming norm, you know, it is um, there by itself uh, at the top level and it norms all other um, standards that we would use in our theological enterprise. And I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I do want to make sure that there is a distinction drawn. It's not that we don't value tradition. It's not that we're not interested in tradition. I very much value tradition personally. I probably value tradition more than 99.9% of Baptists and probably more than even some Roman Catholics might. Uh, but the difference is while I value it and I use it, I never use it as some sort of authority over scripture. So it's never has power over scripture to overrule it. So when it comes to history, I'm using it. And I think uh, the scriptures tell us that the spirit, uh, part of his role is to guide the church into all truth. And part of that looks like church history. It's simply unfolding uh, his promise to guide the church into truth. So that's why we should be more trusting rather than skeptical of tradition. But that doesn't mean that it has some sort of authoritative role over what scripture actually says. If it contradicts scripture, it's going to be wrong. Right. Absolutely. Anyway, so we, we mentioned they're, they're orthodox, the reformational, and I think we could even drill down into say they, they are evangelical, mm-hmm. uh, which would, I think, distinctively mention that they place a great value on personal conversion. Right. So you actually have to be converted to Christ. There is a point where you're not a believer, and then there is a point that you are a believer. That may not always be neat and tidy. I don't think everybody has to have a date and time attached to when they became a Christian. But there is 
somewhere along this long chain where you didn't know Christ and then you do know Christ. It may be murky. It may be a long period, maybe a year or two or three or four. Who knows how long this process is, but there is actually a conversion from darkness to light. Mm-hmm. You move from being you know, in Adam uh, to being in Christ. You know, that is definitely um, something that you know, an evangelical is going to hold very dearly to um, that maybe some other traditions are not going to we're not going to have a focus on, but, um, so, so to kind of, you know, as you can see, we kind of narrowed the focus a little bit here. So we started broad with, you know, we're, we're Catholic, you know, slash universal. And then we've narrowed the scope a little bit more to reformational, uh, which other denominations would agree with. So, you know, right. we can yes. have Luther, Lutherans, certain Lutherans anyway, we have Presbyterians, we can have Anglicans, different people who are going to say Orthodox and evangelical. Yeah. Yeah. But Baptists are, um, you know, we, we kind of are our own, in, maybe on our own um, in that, um, I guess, the specific area that we're on our own is ecclesiology. Um, you know, we're going to we're going to depart from other evangelicals um, in our belief in, um, you know, the idea of um, regenerate church membership. Um, that's something that is a Baptist distinctive. Jordan, why don't you tell us a little bit about, you know, how that differs from, say, uh, you know, a Presbyterian or, you know, some other groups that we would pretty much get along with in a, in a lot of ways and that mm-hmm. we would, you know, definitely um, count them as brothers and sisters in Christ for sure. But we we have very serious differences uh, when it comes to the, the topic of ecclesiology. Yeah, that's a good question. So I, I do want to broaden the scope a little bit on this. So Baptists, I think, are, you know, Orthodox, they're reformational or evangelical and they're separate is what Tom Nettles would say. Mm-hmm. And he puts under the separate umbrella, several things, including that idea of regenerate church membership, which you could maybe say is a believer's church as well. So regenerate church membership and credo baptism or baptism of confessing, professing believers alone, mm-hmm. kind of put those things two together along with the idea that there is no help from the magistrate, which basically means the church is not a state run thing. It's its own individual entity that's separate from the from the from the. So king. Baptists are going to deny the idea of a territorial church. I mean, so unlike know, the Church of England, right, where technically I guess the king and queen have authority over the church, yes, it's connected to it. Baptists say, no, no, I have no connection whatsoever. I'm my own entity. There are two separate. Uh, things going on here. But I, w- I want to focus in on what Brandon mentioned, which the idea of regenerate church membership. And I think fundamentally what is called credo baptism or baptism of those who profess faith in Christ alone. And what that basically means is when it comes to the local church body, Baptists are going to say the only people who can be members of this church are those who actually profess faith in Christ. So someone who was just born into believing home doesn't automatically have a right to church membership. So I think the the big difference here between a Baptist understanding and Presbyterian understanding or, or an Anglican understanding or others who are what they call paedo-baptists or those who baptize their infants, they're going to say, well, I guess depending on who it is, they're going to admit um, infants or children into their church membership who have yet to profess a faith in Christ, while a Baptist is going to say no. Now, I get it. There are a lot of Baptist churches who actually functionally, I think, practice something that's not regenerate church membership because they have, you know, four or five-year-olds who 
man, I have no <laughs> idea what kind of faith they're professing. I mean, I'm not saying you can't, but I do think that they're very lax in their membership standards. They don't yep. practice a, a serious, meaningful membership. Uh, so that functionally, they are almost functioning like a uh, church that baptizes infants. And of course, for me, I think infants can be regenerated from the womb. I think you have mm-hmm. evidence, David, in the Psalms. And I think you have evidence, John the Baptist, mm-hmm. uh, in the New Testament. Clearly, Christian from the womb, or has a spirit. So, in a sense, theoretically, you know, an infant could be a member. But what Baptists are going to basically say is, when I come to the New Testament... When I see church membership happening, I see person professes faith, then they become a member of the church. So they take that practice and say, that's how I think membership should work in the New Testament, is someone professes faith, and then that's when they become a member of the church. And of course, they're baptized along the way. And I know we'll talk about, I guess, baptism at, at some point in a future episode. I think that's something that should be a full episode, yeah. talking about the nature of baptism and what that looks like, because that is a huge Huge topic, but suffice to say, Baptists agree with a regenerate church and a church that baptizes professing believers alone. Would you Mm -hmm. agree with that? I would. Yeah, and um, so just to kind of shift gears just a little bit here um, to move away from ecclesiology um, somewhat. Um, So next episode, we're going to talk a little bit more in depth about um, confessions and confessionalism, but... um, Historically, Baptists have been a confessional people. Um, there have been a number of um, Baptist confessions over the last three to four centuries, um, some of them um, more well-known than others. but um, So you have the First London Confession, 1644, which was actually edited, I think, and in, in, uh, changed in, to a new version in 1646. And then you have the uh, Second London Baptist Confession, which is commonly known as the 1689, that was first written in 1677. And then after the Act of Toleration, it was signed and uh, released in 1689. So that's why it bears that name. And it, that one's basically plagiarizing Westminster and Savoy. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. basically saying we identify largely with these other groups, we identify with the Congregationalists. We got identify with the Presbyterians. Yeah. We are very much saying we are in unity with you on 95% of your theology. Because if you read these side by side, you're going to notice they're almost identical yeah. in the vast majority of what's being said in them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so uh, another one, um, a little bit newer, would be the New Hampshire Confession. There's some dispute over whether that is a... Um, maybe a less Calvinistic confession uh, in comparison to the 1644 and the 1689. Uh, I guess different scholars um, dispute over that. I, I'm not super familiar with the New Hampshire, so I don't want to say one way or the other, but we'll probably have somebody on uh, pretty soon that will um, would love to talk to us about the the New Hampshire confession. So, um, But to, to narrow the scope even further, um, you know, we have... Uh, Southern Baptists. So this is a, a, a group within, um, you know, Baptist identity uh, at large. And so Southern Baptists have really, um, you know, they, they grew out of, you know, as we were just saying, um, the, the, the Puritan or the, or the, the separatist groups uh, in England. And that is the heritage of the Southern Baptists, not the um, more radical Anabaptists. Um, it's pretty, pretty well known that uh, all of the delegates who came to the um, the first meeting um, 
to actually found the Southern Baptist Convention um, in 1845, I believe, in Augusta, Georgia. All 293 delegates that came to that uh, meeting to to start the Southern Baptist Convention came from churches that used the 1689 Confession, um, or it could have been the Philadelphia Confession or the Charleston Confession, which is basically the 1689, but just with maybe a chapter or two added um, on, I think, worship and uh, laying on of hands. That's right. I believe. So, um, but the point is that the theology was exactly the same as those separatist Baptists who came out of um, the English Reformation. Which you mentioned didn't come from Anabaptists. Right. Now, of course, there is a stream of Baptist life that did commingle with the Anabaptists, but I think the vast majority of our Baptists came from the more Reformed side from the Church of England, and they were not Anabaptists. They right. were coming from Presbyterians, Congregationalists, uh, people who are convinced by Scripture that church membership and baptism are for believers alone. Mm-hmm. And now, I guess we have, with the Southern Baptist group, the Baptist faith and message is the primary confession, I guess you would say, right. of what the, these Baptists believe. Yeah, so not only are Baptists a confessional people, but Southern Baptists have historically been a confessional people. So you have um, the Abstract of Principles, which was the first confession um, ever ever written by and for Southern Baptists, which was actually written for Southern Seminary uh, in the 1850s. But the first one that was written for church use was the, uh, as Jordan just mentioned, the Baptist Faith and Message in 1925. And that was um, a confession that used the New Hampshire Confession kind of as its framework, and it removed... Um, Actually, it removed quite a bit, I think, but um, I don't, I don't, I'm not up on all the details on that. So you have the 1925 Baptist Faith and Message, the 1963, and then the most recent version that most Southern Baptist churches are going to use today, the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. So, Which I think the only people who use the older versions are more liberal? Probably, yeah. Because I think the 63, of course, I'm not even sure about this, but I, I think the 63 is probably a little more liberal, but I'm, 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 well, I think 2000 corrected. became more serious about things like complementarianism. Uh, well, and they added, so the 2000 added the last chapter on the family because there became more confusion over sexual issues and, and what exactly um, it means to constitute a family. You know, the, our society just became way more confused about those things. So it became necessary for them to add. Uh, that chapter on on the definition of the family. So. Which, of course, if Baptists had just decided to stick with the old versions, those sections would already be there, wouldn't have needed to be added. And, you know, I think I think there is something to be said about, and we'll, I, I think we'll get into this in more detail when we talk about confessions, but, um, you know, there's something to be said for using a time-tested uh, older confession, um, and especially one like the 1689 that does have that close tie to um, other groups um, with, you know, the Westminster confession and the, the Savoy declaration. So um, obviously, as we've already said in an earlier episode, we're coming um, at this show and, you know, we, you know, from a 1689 perspective, but um, that's not to say that, you know, the Baptist faith message is message is useless or even that it is incompatible with the 1689. I know there's a book, um, that I can't even remember the, the guy's name who's writing it, but there's a book coming out through founders, I, I believe, uh, next year where it's an exposition of the Baptist faith and message from a 1689 perspective. Um, I think it's an attempt to show that the two are actually compatible. So um, the 1699 is obviously more uh, detailed and certainly more explicit in its, uh, its, its views of Calvinism and, and things like that. But 
Um, so yeah, so the main point here though, is that Baptists and Southern Baptists are a confessional people historically. So, um, that's something that hopefully, um, our churches will begin to take more seriously. Yeah, I think that's good. So defining Baptist identity, Baptists are Orthodox or Catholic, they're reformational or evangelical. They're a separate, uh, church and they're confessional. Fun fact, my church that I was at in Louisville where I was a member, when they were founded late 1700s, I think wow. they uh, affirmed the Philadelphia Confession of Faith. Hmm. So anytime, even still, yeah, like, no, not anymore. Oh, oh, okay. it, that was the original confession. So I would frequently use it uh-huh. uh, whenever I was trying to explain theological positions that the Baptist faith and message just either doesn't touch on mm-hmm. or is a lot skinnier, yeah. thinner. Right. Uh, so the 1689 confession is definitely a lot more thick than the Baptist faith and message in a lot of areas, in a lot of ways. So, I mean, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's a bad thing, depending on who you talk to, because right. maybe your average, you know, grandmother at your church is going to have some difficulty digesting <laughs> yeah. the size of that. Maybe that's something that we should talk about when it comes to confessions and, and the use of the church. But anyway, that's Baptist identity. So who might you think of as some representative Baptists, maybe representative Baptists that are, if you ask the normal person on the street, you ask them who's a Baptist and they're going to say this person, or maybe you ask who's should be a representative Baptist. Yeah. So probably the, the, well, not probably I'm, I'm pretty confident in saying that the two most famous or well-known Baptists ever would be Billy Graham and Charles Spurgeon. I don't think that's, really even disputable. I, I, I don't think, um, I mean, Spurgeon was, I mean, both of those men were known worldwide. I mean, and, you know, impacted millions of people. So, um, so those would definitely be the two, um, most well-known Baptists, but as far as, um, you know, guys who are, are still around. And, um, so I would say John Piper is, is well-known. He's and not Southern Baptist though. He's, but he's not Baptist. Southern Baptist, but he is a Baptist. Yes. And, uh, and a Southern Baptist would probably the most well-known Southern Baptist would be Al Mohler. Um, he's people probably recognize him from his podcast. Um, the briefing. The briefing. Yeah. So, I mean, I the daily news and a, I don't even know. I'm going through withdrawals right now because it's <laughs> July, you know, he doesn't do them in July. I guess he's on vacation or something, but so he'll be back in a couple of weeks, but he's, um, he's definitely, I think he's got to be the most well-known Southern Baptist right now. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, I mean, he might be. Maybe Russ Moore is up there. Oh, boy. Uh, you know, people are calling him out on Twitter. Well, of course, maybe the question is, who is Russ Moore? <laughs> right. Well, that's a different episode. Let's not, yeah. let's not even go down that road. <laughs> but um, so, Jordan, why, why don't you tell us why do you think um, – why do you think somebody should be a Baptist? Now we've gone over the identity and so we touched on a little bit of this, you know, in there, but you know, why do you think if you could just give us a couple of reasons that somebody should be a Baptist, what would they be? Because you love potlucks. Okay. <laughs> I mean, Hopefully we have a better reason than that coming. But. Oh, seriously though, when it comes to being, why be a Baptist uh, and why not somebody who, somebody else who's virtually the same, or at least very close. Um, obviously, you can go in there and say, "Well, because I think the Bible says that." But I think that's kind when when you're really getting into these discussions. Yeah, that's I mean, somewhat the Presbyterian is going to say the same thing. Yeah, they're going to say, "Well, I you, because yeah, so. that's what the Scripture says." Okay, well, let's deal with more. I think maybe a pragmatic reason to be a Baptist 
would be their emphasis and success, depending on who you talk to, mm-hmm. I would say at least success with missions. Mm-hmm. So emphasis and success on missions, I think more than any other denomination, I think they are zealous and hardworking toward missions. Um, yeah. I think they're zealous toward evangelism. I think a lot of that evangelism is probably done poorly. I, I, but the zeal is there for sure. The zeal is de- and definitely that's there. Something that we should for sure applaud. Yeah, and that's mean. a po- positive thing. Yeah. Uh, another thing that Baptists they were kind of on the forefront on was religious liberty, which pretty much most Protestant denominations now agree with religious liberty, which basically means that we are free to practice uh, our understanding of the scriptures without influence from the state. Mm-hmm. And then. Why else be a Baptist? I think you just have to go with you truly and fundamentally believe that the scriptures teach the New Testament church is to be made up of believers alone. And that does not include children until they profess faith. And I think that's that's the primary theological reason to be yeah. a Baptist. Yeah, I mean that's definitely a, a a foundational, you know, conviction of of any Baptist is going to be, um, you know, regenerate church membership, something we talked about, and you know, the idea of of religious liberty, which is, as you just said, um, kind of uh, it's been um, adopted by a lot of other traditions, and um, you know, it's something that we really hold dearly as Americans uh, as well. So, um, so one thing before we wrap this episode up. Um, and this is something that I think we touched on in an earlier episode, but Baptist, at least today, I don't think it's always been this way. In fact, I know it's not always been this way, but Baptists today have a reputation for a people who um, don't think. Um, and I don't know why that is, but but Jordan, why do you think that we have that reputation? And do you think that this is, um, is it a Baptist problem or is it more of an American evangelical problem? And most American evangelicals just happen to be Baptists. Yeah. That, I think that last point's probably the key. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Southern Baptists are just a large, it is the largest denomination. So yeah. naturally, technically we're not a denomination. Okay. If you want to get, and I guess that's something we should have <laughs> talked about, about Baptists. They, they believe in an autonomous church, Yes, which means that they are, uh, there's no other church outside of their their own local church that has authority over what mm-hmm. they're going to do, which I prefer a much stronger form of connectionalism where there's much more like, I guess. Well, historically, Baptists have, have been, um, what's the word? Involved in um, a more robust associationalism. So, you know, the connection between local churches um, in a particular area has been, um, what's the word I want to use? They didn't, they didn't, uh, you know, have any kind of power over each other, but they definitely influenced each other. If there were church discipline issues, you know, involving the pastor or something, other churches would be brought in and leaders from other churches would be brought in, you know, to help that church sort it out. Not as, you know, this is what you have to do because we have authority over you. But now things have become, so isolated that it's just kind of the wild, wild west. And, you know, each church is doing whatever it wants to. And I think we've seen the fruit of that. Yeah. And there's one chapter in a little book on being reformed. I don't remember which chapter it is, but 
it mentions in a couple paragraphs that Baptists used to be far more connected than they are now. And you know, I'm not advocating for having external bodies that have power over each local church, but I am advocating for, I wish uh, each local church was required to at least, if they're going to ordain somebody, the churches in their region at, at least had to, you know, give their their position on it saying, yeah, yeah I think this is a good idea yeah. or maybe that's a bad idea that you don't have to listen to them, but I think at least some input would be useful mm-hmm. and would save 50% of our Baptist churches from a lot of the garbage that's gone on. Gone on. Yeah. I think, I think we've taken uh, local church autonomy and, and made it into <laughs> something that it was really never intended to be. I mean, I mean we've the, taken it to an extreme America, so. you know, that's, that's, you know, we want to be free and autonomous and all and all. And I don't think that's what scripture says. Yeah. I think you look at even acts 15, you don't make that maybe a paradigm for your, for your ecclesiological understanding, but there is a coming together and discussing of things. And I guess maybe somebody would say, well, that's what the, you know, the Southern Baptist convention, that three day period is right. But I think it's far stronger than what the Southern Baptist convention comes to do Mm -hmm. and what they kind of talk about. But anyway, we were talking about why don't Baptists think? And quite frankly, I don't know if that's necessarily Baptist problem. Like we mentioned though, if you go to different denominations, I do think you will find people who are far more interested in thinking and that might be why, and I think maybe part of that is just because they do attract people who want to think. Yeah. So Baptists attract people who don't want to think just because you've got like begets like. I have no idea. I'm just spitballing yeah. that. I, but I do think well, historically, and this is part of what we want to do um, on the show, is to go back into Baptist history and to bring up these these theologians who... Um, did take thinking seriously. They wrote um, very well-respected systematic theologies. And, you know, I mean, for instance, um, I'm going to start a new Sunday school class, hopefully in January, and I'm going to use um, John Dagg's uh, Manual of Theology. Uh, and that was the first Southern Baptist systematic theology. I think it was, uh, I'm going to get the date wrong, sometime in the 1800s. But um, all that to say that everything that I've seen online, um, you know, it's a very well-respected systematic, it's a little bit shorter, but it is, um, you know, it does have a good reputation. And like I said, a minute ago, there are a number, I mean, all kinds of, uh, Baptist, um, theologians throughout history that have done very serious work. Um, and that, you know, hopefully we'll have an opportunity to either ourselves or we'll have guests on to, you know, give us, um, a lot of information about those theologians so that we can kind of go back to where we used to be um, as Baptists and, you know, maybe pull from the past some inspiration for how we want to move forward in the future. So. Exactly. And, you know, I think maybe part of the problem has just been a, an overfocus on pragmatism, Yeah, which, you know, it's not a bad thing to think about, I guess, methods and how how do we functionally practice these things. But doing that to the neglect of an overall theological framework and a thinking mind is just simply a disobedience to the commandment to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, Mm -hmm. because you're not loving him with your mind. And by virtue of that, you're not loving him with the other parts of you. So I do think Baptists have neglected thinking uh, on the whole, and we hope to be a small catalyst to somewhat change that trend. So any of our listeners, whether it's three people or whether it's, you know, 5,000 people, we want to encourage probably three. 
that's more likely. At least for now. Oh, definitely more <laughs> likely. Um, I have no pretense that we're going to have a lot of listeners uh, because as I've always heard, this, this great truism, every time the word platform is uttered, a demon gets its wings. <laughs> and I believe that to be true. So I have no intention of platforming us and being obnoxious with those things. But I do hope people listen. Uh, I don't have any you know, pretense on that. And what I hope they take away is that we should think, and we should think deeply and clearly about issues. Mm-hmm. And we can do that as Baptists. We don't have to switch denominations. You know, I've heard a lot of people switch from being a Baptist to Presbyterian because, well, Baptists didn't actually take regenerate church membership very seriously, or they didn't really think uh, they weren't doing good theology. Well, that's not a good reason to leave your denomination. Yeah, That's a bad reason. That's actually an unthinking reason, in my opinion. Yeah. That's an emotional decision. So, which emotions aren't bad, but I think we should think through our things rationally. I agree. And I think this has been a, a good uh, primer, I guess, on, on Baptist identity and, you know, um, who, who we have been historically and who we want to be in the future. So um, hopefully, you know, this has been useful um, for the those who are listening. Um, yeah. And if we have listeners who have questions or have other ideas that they want, they want us to talk about, they're more than welcome to reach out to us. Uh, just shoot us a tweet. Yeah. We got a Twitter page. So that's um, primarily where we interact. I'm not really on Facebook or Instagram. My wife is an Instagram yeah. professional. She's I amazing. I don't have it. Facebook either. So it's, it's pretty much Twitter a bus for me. Yeah. So yeah. All cool. right. Well, we look forward to meeting with you guys and talking with you more about confessional idea, identity uh, next week. All right. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.